Blog Talk Radio. about 
really stuff that has nothing to do with sports. It mostly has to do with women, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> but he's a, he's a very, very cool guy, i got to tell you. Yeah, how do you find it, like, you both like the Jets and the Mets. Do you find it, you know, being a sports, uh, you know, co-host on the on the air, do you find it easier or harder to like the same teams? Uh, you know, sometimes it would be easier if we like different teams um, because, you know, obviously we want to appeal to Yankee fans and Giant fans too, so you don't want to alienate them. I mean, we agree on the football and the baseball teams. We don't agree on basketball and hockey, but, you know, you don't talk as much basketball and hockey as football and baseball. But we definitely have different perspectives about our teams. I mean, we both love the Jets and Mets, but uh, we have very different perspectives on how to build a team. He doesn't think stats matter. I think it kind of matters. So uh, we come from a very different, uh, I guess, opinion when it comes to our teams. But I think there's positives and negatives to it. Gotcha. Um, For you personally, uh, in terms of your career, Evan, would you say working at WFN is your dream job, or is there something ultimately that you want to do with your career? Oh, my God, it's the dream job. I used to work at Sirius, no offense to them, and I did like a Maxim (laughs) show. And you would think, well, that's your dream job. You get to talk to models and hot chicks all day. And every time I did that job, as great as it was staring at these Maxim models when they would come in, I said to myself, my God, I just want to talk sports. I just want to talk about the left-handed reliever the Mets need to pick up. I mean, who cares about how to pick up chicks? I mean, who cares about 50 different types of beers? So uh, this is the dream job, though I do miss the aspect of, you know, getting to see beautiful women that were in Maxim Magazine. But getting to talk about sports and getting to talk about the teams I love because I'm a New Yorker, uh, I can't imagine anything being better. Would you say that a um, certain individual, obviously we all do what we have to do with what's best for our families, but would you say a certain individual that left WFAN somewhat regrets it? Who are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you talking about? Are you talking about Doggy? Uh, Yeah, Doggy. (laughs) I don't think he regrets it, man, because, I mean, I, I don't know if it's all about money, but I think that he's getting to do something pretty cool. I mean, getting to run your own channel, that's, there's some appeal to that, so... Uh, I think he's having fun. I, I don't know. I mean, you have to get truth serum from him, but uh, I think there's <laughs> positives and negatives to him. I mean, you're kind of out of the spotlight, but you also – I'll tell you something about radio, man. I mean, we, we're kind of slaves to the, to the ratings. You know, you want to get high ratings, and it's very stressful when you don't get high ratings, and then you do get high ratings, you feel you're the king of the world. I think one of the perks of satellite is you don't really have to worry about it that much. So it's it's uh, less stressful. So <laughs> from that aspect, I mean, I remember working there, and – there was no way to rate us. So who who the hell knows if we're doing a good show or not? And that's one of the huge differences I've noticed from going from satellite to regular radio, and I'm sure he's noticing the uh, noticing it going from regular radio to satellite. But I think he's pretty happy over there, and I think he does a good job whenever I get to listen. Cool. It's interesting that you it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, you know I've listened. To, I used to have serious. Uh, I bought a car a couple of like almost a year ago, and I had the six months free. I have no intention of paying for a series, but I listen to it, and I listen to Dog Talk, and, uh, you know, I miss him and Mike together on the fan, but at the same time, you know, you, he has his guys on there and stuff, and he can do whatever he wants, but I didn't know that there, there, there was no way to rate how they're doing, because, I mean, how does he, I know he signed to a contract, but how does he keep a job? If, let's say, hypothetically speaking, nobody's listening, or whatever the case is, how do they know uh, how that works in terms of which show gets what and, and everything? I got to be honest, I mean, things may have changed because I haven't worked there since 2006. So that's been five years. And at the time, there was really no way to determine how many people were listening. I mean, the way they used to determine it was 
how many people would call in. And I always thought that was a terrible indicator because if you have a lot of interviews, a lot of people aren't calling in. So I don't know if they've changed the technology over there or they've got a new aspect. I can only speak from my experience. And I remember at the time it was kind of weird because, you know, I would do a show. I would think it would be good, but who decides if it's a good show or not, you know? And there's negatives to it because how the heck can I go to, like, my bosses and say, give me a raise? How can I do that? We don't even know if anybody's listening. So I'm sure that they have some type of system, but from when I was there, uh, there really wasn't much of a way to determine it, uh, which they can do in regular radio. Well, that's always a good thing in terms of you guys and your your ratings and stuff. You know, I know that uh, when Mike and Doug were together, they were the kings of the air, and I'm sure that Mike is still doing uh, great in terms of ratings, even though Doug's not there anymore. But, um, you know, turning our attention to uh, to baseball for a second, we know that you're a big Mets fan. The two of us, unfortunately, are also big Mets fans. Um, with this, basically with this nuclear disaster that we have going on with Fred and Jeff Wilpon and the whole Madoff scheme, um, I, you tend to be more optimistic than I do as a fan. I, I guess I fall more towards the Joe Beningo school of thought where, you know, what can go wrong will go wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's anything for us to look forward to this year with the Mets? Because the pitching is pretty much a disaster. We don't know who's going to give us what. The bullpen actually got worse, if that's possible. And, uh, you know, they had a couple of bright spots with R.A. Dickey and whatnot, and Pelfrey started out good, started licking his hands, and he ended out the <laughs> season well. Um, I mean – Honestly, do you think that the Mets are going to give us any hope this year, or are we looking for uh, just looking for 2012? Well, it's not that I go into this season confident, like I'm going to sit here and tell you the Mets are going to win 90 games. I kind of look at it from the the idea that baseball is a great game because anything can happen. And you know, I, somebody called up today and said, "We all know the Mets are losing 90 games." And I said, to him, How, what do you mean we all know the Mets are going to lose 90 games? How the heck do we know that? I mean, they won 79 games last year, and you're telling me there isn't a chance that the Met lineup, which has a lot of talent on paper, can't stay healthy and actually score a ton of runs? I mean, you figure Jason Bay is going to be better than he was last year. You figure Beltron's going to have a big year on a contract year. Same with Jose Reyes. Ike Davis, you'd hope, can get better. I mean, there's always the you know, the risk of a, of a sophomore slump, but – for the most part, you could be optimistic I can get a lot better. So, I mean, I think the Met offense is going to be good or has a chance to be really good. I mean, there are questions about the pitching staff, and I can't sit here and definitively tell you they're going to win 90 games, but there is a way if things break right that this team could be competitive. I don't think they're going to be as good as the Phillies, but, I mean, there's a chance this team could win in the high 80s if everything breaks right. Now, it's asking a lot, but it's not impossible. I mean, who who in their right mind thought the Padres, who over-under number in Vegas, on opening day, I think, was 71, would go out and win, I think it was 89 or 90 games, and had a chance to win the division on the final day of the year. So, I, look, it takes an optimistic approach to think the Mets are going to make the playoffs, but they have a lot of talent offensively, and if things break right, and John Neese, who showed us uh, you know, some glimpses last year, remember how well he pitched against the Phillies, specifically that yeah. Friday night at Citizens Bank, I think back in late April or early May, where he was outstanding. He showed you glimpses throughout the year. If things can break right, this team could be competitive. Things could break wrong, and they could lose a ton of games, but it's baseball. You know, it's not like this is the NBA. I mean, as a a basketball fan, you know when your team's going to stink. You know, there aren't any surprises for the most part in the NBA. There are surprises every year in baseball. Why not us? Yeah, Evan. Yeah, Evan, do you you think that if the team isn't competitive – that the team should consider potentially trading Reyes or Wright for prospects? 
I don't know if I would trade David Wright for prospects. I would consider Reyes mainly because his contract's coming up. I mean, you've got David signed long-term, at least for the next couple of years, and he kind of is the face of the team. He's their most popular player. So unless I'm pulled over for David Wright, I don't think I'd do it. But if the Mets fall out of it and all things go wrong and Reyes is playing well and he's going to get $95 million on the open market and Sandy Alderson determines that, you know what, that's not a – a smart way to allocate the funds, then I, then you definitely have to trade him because you can't afford to lose this guy for nothing uh, if the Mets aren't in a pennant race. So I would definitely consider Reyes as much as I like him. I don't think I'd consider David. Unless I'm getting something major league ready, like I'm getting another star back, I wouldn't trade David Wright. Okay. Yeah, you know, and I, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that assessment because I've always been a big fan of Jose but he's also very injury-prone. His first couple of years he was injured, healthy for a couple of years, back to being injured, it seems. But I guess, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. But ultimately, my concern as a fan, it's not even so much as the ifs, because there's a whole lot of ifs to this team. You're right, if, if, the, um, if the lineup is healthy, the Mets have a really good lineup. But my concern is this whole situation with the lawsuit. Do you honestly think, because I heard Mike talking about this today uh, in the middle of the day, uh, he was talking about how, he thinks that eventually the Mets really may end up sending, uh, selling the team, and that's a huge jump from where Mike has always been on the Wilpons side in terms of, no, they're not going to sell, they're not going to sell. Do you think that the Wilpons are going to own this team in a couple of years? No, I don't think they will. I, the problem is I don't know when they're going to be forced to sell, but, I mean, they're facing a $1 billion lawsuit. It, it, they look like right now when they say we're looking for an investor at 20 to 25%, it's like the last-ditch effort. You know, it's kind of like when you're breaking yeah. up with the girlfriend and you say, um, but, you know, I'll change, or I'll buy you this, or I'll buy you that, you know it's over. <laughs> and I, I think they know yeah. it's over. I, I just hope as a fan, and I think we all hope it, that if they're going to sell, do it now, because the process takes a long time. And, you know, you hope that the right owner buys. I know we all hear, like, these names like Mark Cuban and Donald Trump earlier today, but we don't know what type of owner Donald Trump's going to be. We know he's an egomaniac. He likes to say you're fired and he's got weird hair, but we don't know what type of baseball owner he's going to be. <laughs> But I do think if I had to bet my money on it, within the next five years they're going to sell. I just hope it's a lot sooner than later. Okay. Do you, do you think that? Uh, but do you think Mark Cuban would be the a uh, good owner here in New York? I mean, I think he. I guess he would be because he's got a lot of money and he wants to win, and that seems to be like the perfect combination of what you want. You want a guy that's got a lot of money and is willing to you know do anything to win, but. I, you know, you never know. That's the one thing. That's the one thing about owners. You just never know who's going to be a great owner. I'm still not sure about Mikhail Prokhorov, and I was all pumped up when he bought the Nets. I don't, I don't know what type of owner he's going to be. Cuban sounds good on paper, but yeah, you, ju- you just, you just don't know. I, I don't think Donald Trump would be a good owner. I mean, that's the one that kind of freaks me out because the first thing he would do is rename the the stadium Trump Field, <laughs> and who knows? He'd probably rename the team the New York Trumps. He's such an egomaniac. Uh, that and he'd probably be so involved. I mean, he'd probably want to be like general manager of the team. So Trump scares me, but I think Cuban. If, if you look, if you said to me right now, pick a guy to own the Mets. If I got to pick it out, I think Mark Cuban would probably be the guy I pick. I just warn people who think Cuban, you know, who are so positive Cuban's going to be amazing that you just you don't know. You never know for sure until a guy owns your team. Yeah, that, that's a good point because. Uh, you know, I follow you guys on, well, you, I guess, on on Twitter, and I noticed you mentioned something about uh, Trump, that you didn't think that Trump would uh, would be allowed into the league by C-League. 
Um, I, I mean, is that you really think that you really think oh, that? Oh, there's that no way they would they wouldn't allow him in. They wouldn't allow him in because of his dealings with casinos. That's something baseball would be. They'd be oh, definitely yeah, afraid point. of that. That's a good point. Yeah, I think they'd stay away from that. I mean, and also baseball seems to be very. They, they don't even love Mark Cuban. You know, they don't want yeah. bombastic guys that be. I mean, look, I know they had Steinbrenner, but trust me, they had no idea Steinbrenner was going to be Steinbrenner when he bought the Yankees from CBS. Remember, at his like opening press conference, he said, "You know, I'm going to be the silent partner." So. I don't think baseball really likes having guys that are bigger than the team, so they probably prefer some billionaire we've never heard of than a guy like Donald Trump or even Mark Cuban. That's true. Yep. Evan, uh, we're we're both me and you are both uh, you know big diehard Jet fans and obviously big Mets fans, but where we differ is in basketball because um, I grew up um, watching Lakers Celtics, so I grew up as a Celtic fan, you know, watching Larry Bird. So I know we play each other tomorrow night. I think. I know we close out the All-Star break uh, before the All-Star break playing you guys uh, up in Boston. I'm not sure if you guys uh, – is that your last game? This, yeah, uh, before the last break? game. Yeah. Last game. It'll be a loss. I'm sure of it. You got a W. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm not too worried. But uh, since we're both Jeff fans, um, you know, last year against the Colts we came close. This year we got closer. But, like, honestly, sometimes I feel like Joe Beningo. I feel like this team's never going to win in my lifetime. Um, sometimes I, and sometimes I really feel that the Jets, they didn't sell their souls to the devil or anything, but they did their part by winning, you know, Super Bowl three, <laughs> making the NFL what it is today. I mean, do you honestly see this team winning a Super Bowl in the next two to three years? See, that, that this is one of the differences between me and Joe, and this is definitely my age. I understand that. And obviously I don't remember Super Bowl three. It was long before I was born. But in my lifetime, the Jets have been good. You know, in my lifetime, I've seen the Jets in the playoffs a lot. In fact, I would say of all the teams I root for, the Jets have probably been the most successful team I've rooted for. So I don't have that same I – I mean, I do have negativity in general because I've never seen my team win, but I don't have that it's never going to happen. You know, Joe always says, bro, I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be dead before this team wins, bro. It's never <laughs> going to happen. And, and I guess it's because it's been so long. But to me, I've you know, Jets have given me a lot of joy in my life. They've actually been in the playoffs a lot. So I don't have that same negativity. Are they going to win in the next two or three years? I mean, it's so difficult to say because the NFL, it takes, it takes not only getting into the tournament, but it takes getting hot at the right time in the tournament. And I think this team has been fortunate the last two years. They've gotten to the AFC title game. I mean, think about it. This team's had to win four road games in the last two years in the playoffs. That is not an easy task. So, in my opinion, for this team to win a championship, for this team to take that next step, and I said this the day after they lost to Pittsburgh, they need to get not just a home game, but a first-round bye. That's what I want as a Jet fan, because even if you play that first game at home and you win a division, if you don't get that first-round bye, you've got to win three games. Now, I may not be great at math, but to get to the Super Bowl, it's easier to win two games than three games. Okay, that's that, that's what I learned in math class. So, to me, for the Jets to take that step, enough with these road games, enough with having to pull off these miracle runs, they need to win a division, and they need to get a first-round bye. And if they do that, I'm going to actually be pretty confident that they can finally take that step and get to the Super Bowl. I agree with you, Evan. And, uh, you know, like you said, um, this team is competitive every year. I mean, it is our probably our best team. But, you know, I did get a championship finally in 2008 with the Celtics. Um, you've been winning since 86 with the Mets. So, 
I mean, you know, one of our teams has to win a championship in the next couple of years, or else we're gonna we're gonna become Joe Beningo. I mean, it's and, I, and I'm so freaking young. I was only three and a half when the Mets won in '86. I don't even remember that. I don't even count that. So I'm like, I'm old for my lifetime. I know I'm young and I got time in my life, but I'm old for 27 years old. So uh, <laughs> I hope I get one eventually. And I have no idea where it's coming from. I mean, right now I would lean towards the Jets because they've been close, but the Mets and the Nets. Uh, they don't appear to be all that close, though you never know. I mean, you just said, who thought the Giants were going to win a World Series? Yeah, very that's true. true. Yeah, folks, we're talking to Evan Roberts here from WFAN's Midday Show with Joe Benengo here on Pure Gold. Evan, turning our attention to wrestling because we know you like wrestling and you unfortunately can't talk about it on your show, but what got <laughs> you interested in wrestling in the first place? Ah, yeah, I think it was I was typical. My dad taught me when I was like five years old. I was watching Hulk Hogan, The Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, and all that garbage. And the problem was I never grew out of it. I mean, that, that was the big problem. Like, I think my mom thought, she said to my dad, he's going to grow out of this, right? Like, he's not going to like wrestling forever. And my dad's like, yeah, just like me. Because my dad used to watch Bruno San Martino back in the day, Bobo Brazil, all those guys. And the problem was wrestling, like, started to gear themselves to teenagers when I was a teenager, when they went through that Attitude Era, and they had guys saying ass and the rock and stone cold. Well, I'm like, growing up, I'm in high school, so now it's geared to me. And like the last five years, it's kind of stunk, but the way I look at it is TiVo's kept me involved. Because I TiVo Raw, I don't really watch everything. In fact, I, I don't think I've watched a match in years. I just kind of fast-forward it to see if anything interesting happens. So it usually takes me like 25 minutes to watch Raw. Uh, every week. So I think without TiVo, I probably would have grown out of it, but I guess I'm still sucked in. So hopefully I grow out of it someday, maybe soon. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm the same way. I, I DVR, I basically go to sleep around 9.30 on uh, Monday nights, and I just watch it Tuesday morning before I go to work myself. So uh, I'm like you, fast-forwarding until I, I see something interesting, then I'll either you know stop and watch it in real time or just you know rewind and, and watch it you know whenever. But um I know you call. I don't know if you know about this, Evan, but you, you caught some slack on Boomer and Carr in a couple of weeks ago uh, when they found out that you potentially – is this true that you're a commissioner for a fantasy wrestling league? You see, that <laughs> – well, first of all, let me say this. I am never afraid to tell you I'm a loser, okay? I have a cat. Her name is Freedom. I have no issue with that, okay? I score baseball games. No issue with that. That isn't true. So – I mean, trust me, I'm not one to sit here and deny loser activities. I will tell you every loser thing I do, but commissioning a fantasy wrestling lead was completely not true. In fact, I don't even know how you would do that. I mean, that like maybe that would intrigue me when I was 12 years old, but it certainly doesn't intrigue me now, and I never heard of it. So that one actually is false, I must say. But it did get back to you, right, that they were talking about it on their show? Oh, they did, yeah, and they actually brought me in at the end of the show to deny okay. or confirm okay. the rumors, and I said the same thing I'm telling you guys, that listen, you know me, I'm not I'm not afraid to admit something lame that I do. I mean, come on, I do it all the time, but this one, unfortunately, uh, is not true, unfortunately. I wish it was, because it would be nice to, to mock that, but it's just, I don't even know how you would do it. It'd be interesting, though. It's funny you mention all that because uh, when Joe, because um, I, I typically don't listen to Boomer and Carton unless I'm on the way to work and I've got nothing else to do. Um, but I, uh, you know, I flip it on once in a while, and Joe told me that, and I was like, really, a fantasy wrestling league? And I said the same thing. How in the world would you ever? How in the world would you ever do that? I mean, considering that it's all 
plotted out in advance and stuff. I mean, what would be the possible benefit of that? But and of course, you know, John Cena is always going to win, so it's not like it's uh, it's anything uh, you know spectacular, so to speak. But uh, I will, I will you know, tell you, you something. I will tell you something loserous that I have done with wrestling, if that makes everybody feel better. Um, and, I, and I've done this recently. The only pay per view I'll ever order in the last couple of years is the Royal Rumble. It's entertaining. You know, those guys coming out and all that crap. I didn't order it this year. I had some cable issues. But I've ordered it in years past, and there have been a couple of guys from WFA, and we'd meet up, we'd watch the pay-per-view, and we would actually put money on who would be the next guy to come out. You know, the field of 30, you know, participant number one, participant number five, and we would just gamble. And we would bet, like, some serious money here, you know, and we'd put, like, five bucks a pop, but it adds up. you got 30 people. So, that is one activity I've done with professional wrestling, gambling on who the next person to come out in the Royal Rumble was. But that isn't even that loserish because, you know what the truth is, we just love to gamble. I mean, who doesn't want to gamble? Who doesn't want to try to just win some money? So I have done that. I will confirm that. It's funny It's funny you say that because I actually saw that the Royal Rumble was the first pay-per-view this year. was the first one that I ordered since WrestleMania of last year. And I typically only order those because, you know, a lot of the other ones really pretty much suck. But you definitely missed uh, a really good rumble this year. It's one of the better ones, and I'm sure you heard about uh, Booker T and uh, Diesel coming back and all that. But if you were to if you were to pick out right, you mentioned Hogan Warrior. If you were to pick out a favorite match or a favorite wrestler, do you have like would you be able to say this guy's my favorite and this is my favorite match of all time? Uh, oh yeah. I mean, as a kid, it was Hogan, but I think everybody was. That is an original, but. Like, as a wrestler, I always, and I know he still wrestles, but I haven't seen him much lately, is Kurt Angle. I mean, the guy was great to watch. And the match that jumps out at me was Kurt Angle against Shawn Michaels. Uh, I forget which WrestleMania, 22, something like that. It was That was somewhat recently. That was one of the, like, yeah. the last few WrestleManias that I ordered. And I just remember that match being insanely good. And, you know, Angle made him tap out, which was awesome. So... That one jumps out at me. Steamboat Savage is a classic. I mean, I saw that. I, yeah. I didn't see that one live, but I like. I used to, when I was like five years, not five years old, but like nine years old, I watched it on the VHS cassette. So that one was a classic. Um, I think there was one, Bret Hart against Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series. Not the one at WrestleMania where they had the Iron Man match, but one they fought at Survivor Series was another classic. But number one is Kurt Angle, Shawn job. Michaels. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah. That was a great match. That was actually WrestleMania 21, and... Uh, I remember the uh, that match. I'm a huge Shawn Michaels fan. Shawn's my favorite, so I hated. Anytime Shawn loses, I'd always get pissed. Like I'd watch WrestleMania and I would go nuts, and knowing that it was rigged. But like when he lost to uh, John Cena, I believe it was at WrestleMania 23. I like I, I lost it. I absolutely lost it. Um, but you know, you talk about loserish things. I think just the fact that we're into wrestling at any point kind of oh, pulls yeah. that out. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, you the know, fact that we about, like wrestling is pretty pathetic. I mean, I used to be able to name every main event at WrestleMania until, like, the last two. And my friend and I would be able to actually name every WWE champion dating back to, like, Hogan's first run until recently. But it's gotten – the last couple of years has been tough. That one, Now it's kind of – it's murky now. Yeah, it's definitely it's, – it's definitely pretty uh, pretty bad. But, you know, th- there was a little, bit of a, a little bit of hope last night. And, uh, you know, I'll get into that. I'll get into that in a minute, but, uh, you know, Joe, you have any, anything else to talk? Uh, Evan, I mean, since we're, we're all losers on the show tonight, talking wrestling, <laughs> what, what, do you think that, what do you think the WWE needs to, if you're like the, I guess, the booker of the, the company, what do you think the, the company needs to do to freshen up their product? 
Well, first of all, I got to not make it PG anymore. I mean, that that makes it very tough to watch as somebody who's like a grown man. Uh, the best era of professional wrestling, looking back on it now, was the Attitude Era. It was even better than the Hogan Era. It was, you know, people actually saying ass and it not being beeped out by USA. So the first thing I would do is I would go back to that and try to make it cool again, because at least it felt cool when it was happening back in high school in the first part of the college years. But the the other thing is, and I know you wanted to get into The Rock last night, I thought that was the worst thing that could ever happen to wrestling, and hear me out, because The Rock made you realize that everybody sucks. He's so good and so much better than everybody else that, like, as he's talking, I'm thinking to myself, I can't take any of these other guys seriously. They all suck in comparison to The Rock. He He's that good. So that was kind of depressing watching that. I mean, it really was. Wow, you know... It's interesting you mentioned that because uh, my uh, my wife. I'll get into this a little bit later after uh, after we finish up the interview. But you know, my wife was sleeping and I woke her up because I didn't know for a fact that The Rock was going to be there. And we're watching it, and I went, I, like, I lost it. You know, again, childish, whatever you want to call it. But I lost it, and I loved it that whole thing. And I thought in the middle of it, man, because because uh, Joe and I talk about this. You 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 just said it. It really does remind you of how bad wrestling is now, and how great it was just ten years ago, or even a little bit less than that when The Rock was there. I just love the fact that he came out. I love the fact that he finally put the, you know, the kibosh on the whole. The Rock will never show up again in wrestling. All right, maybe he's not going to wrestle. Like I would love to see Cena Rock at WrestleMania 27 or even at SummerSlam or like a big pay per view. But you know, it's a good point because it really shows you just how far. The WWE has fallen. I remember when, you know, Hooters wasn't the only place showing WWE pay-per-views. Everybody and their mother was watching it. Everybody talked about it. They were getting huge ratings, double, you know, almost triple what they get now. So it's interesting you mention that because you have the whole fake aspect of it. But it used to be hot, and it's definitely a great point because uh, The Rock shows us how far it's fallen. Oh, man, and, and I think one of the worst parts is that for like the last six years, a friend of mine who still watches it would call me up and say, do you notice how the crowds are always dead for these events? Even when yeah. John Cena comes out, they're really like, yeah, they get excited, but they're not loud the way they used to be. And I was like, yeah, maybe it's just the sound. You know, who knows? I, I can't really get too closely into it. I can't figure it out. And then The Rock shows up, and it's it's like it's 1999 again. The whole place is going nuts. So, it, it just by that small aspect, listening to the crowd reaction, tells you everything you need to know. Nobody nobody gets that type of reaction anymore. So he he is the best. But I think that him just running down John Cena, which I know we all probably enjoyed because John Cena sucks. I mean, we all know that. <laughs> Everybody knows that John Cena sucks. The problem with that is he is now completely jumped the shark because how can anybody – Anybody, whether you're 12 years old or you're 27 years old or you're 40 years old, how can anybody take John Cena seriously when he says, you can't see me? Because now we're always going to think about The Rock mocking him, saying, you can't see me. What are we playing, Pickaboo? I mean, that, it's over. Like, he's done. I, I can't believe they did that. It was great, but I can't believe they did that because they just had their biggest star completely run down and now looks like a fool. Like, he, he's done now. I mean, the Rock just completely annihilated him, and all it took was five minutes. That's all it took, unfortunately. I mean, 
me and me and Dave always talk about how uh, Cena's you know Cena's character is just so cartoonish that you know the best thing for him is either to um, you know help the SmackDown show or even turn him heel, which I don't think they'll ever do because they always you know nowadays it's all about money and merchandising and how much you know Vince is selling his shirts. So I don't think that'll ever happen. But you know the crowd at the Royal Rumble was really loud, and I think that towns like Cities like Boston, New York, even Chicago, those are the towns that, you know, still, you know, like wrestling. And those are the, the crowds that really, you know, pop out, um, you know, when th- things like last night happened with The Rock, Evan. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, New York City was almost like the birthplace of pro wrestling. So whenever they got a show at the Garden or, you know, Nassau Coliseum, they do well. Same thing in Boston, like you mentioned. Um, see, the thing they should do, you want me to be the booker with John Cena? I'll tell you how to fix John Cena right now, okay? Because John Cena as a person is probably not a bad guy, and he's not that terrible. It's just that his character sucks. I think you hit it right on the head. He's too cartoonish. John Cena used to be cool. I mean, when he used to come out and rap, he was awesome. That guy was one of the funniest guys out there. I thought he was going to be a superstar as this jackass who just comes out and starts rapping. I mean, people forget that. You know, that F.U. move that they changed because it's PG, that was because of Brock Lesnar's F5. It wasn't it mocking it. Like, it was funny. The guy has, the guy's got some talent. So what you do is you make him the rapper again, and he's such a jerk, and he's a bad guy, and he's an Eminem wannabe, and he's funny. And then people like you and I will like him because he's entertaining. But right now, he's just some juiced up, you know, hustle, everybody. Loyalty. I mean, stop. You're you're a cheap Hulk Hogan ripoff. You're not Hulk Hogan, okay? You're not telling us to take our prayers and do our vitamins. So make him the badass rapper. You do that, John Cena's cool again. Boom! I just fixed him. Easy as that. Easy as that. Yeah, we uh we both agree. I mean, Joe and I. I guess uh, we're opposite of you and uh, Joe. You're Joe B because you know we've been friends for years, and uh, that's kind of what got us started into the whole uh, radio thing and wanting to do it. But we talk about this a lot off the air. We, we, I mean, Joe would probably say we've, we've talked about it 20 times, and you encapsulated perfectly in a nutshell the problem with Cena. Because Cena has to be, I mean, for all the stuff he does with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, he's probably one of the nicest guys on the planet. I have no doubt that if I met John Cena, he would be great, and I'd love the guy personally. But his character, like you said, you were perfect. Everything you said, right on the dot. I guess they figure they don't want him to go backwards, but I liked him when he was a heel. I liked that John Cena. I love the one who had the stupid spinner belts and everything. I mean, I hate the the current spinner belt because it should be his belt, in my opinion, his belt only, and it looks stupid. But aside from that, I mean, I was a I liked Cena, and then you know they just took a dump on that by making him the modern Hulk Hogan, or you know everybody under. Uh, 15 or 13 likes him, and all the women obviously love watching him. But other than that, he absolutely sucks. Well, they, but they've done this. Like, this is Vince's biggest problem. And he's done this even in the Stone Cold Rock era, is that a guy will become popular as a bad guy. That's the way it always started. It's the way it started with Austin. It's the way it started with The Rock. It's the way it started with Shawn Michaels. Yeah. All these guys, Undertaker, too. They were all bad guys. And then people loved them because of their bad guy persona. So then Vince says, ooh, let me make him a good guy. Well, as soon as you make him a good guy, they're not as good anymore. I mean, even with The Rock, if you remember back to The Rock, people started booing him, even after the whole Rocky Maivia thing, when he was The Rock and the people's yeah, champion. Yeah, sucks and all that. Yeah, and then they turned on it because Vince like has, says, oh, they like this guy. Let me make him good. No, no, no. The reason we like them is because they're bad guys. 
That's the problem. Yeah. And, you know, he saw with John Cena. Cena was very popular as this rapping fool. So he says, let me turn him. And he's been doing it for years. It bothers me. Bad guys are usually the most appealing. They're usually the funniest ones. Like even The Miz. He's probably, and this isn't saying much, The Miz is probably the most entertaining guy in wrestling today. And it's not even close. And, and it's true. Yeah. Like he's nothing compared to The Rock, but he's entertaining. I think he's funny. And eventually, you know, the Vince will turn him good and he'll become sucky. They did it with Randy Orton, too. Remember, they turned him good and it was like making out with Stacey Keebler and all that crap. And everybody hated him. They were saying, oh, it's when uh, the, the the evolution turned on him. See, I, st- I still remember yeah, some yeah. of these things. Uh, but they always screw that up. Keep guys bad. They should have kept John Cena bad. Definitely. Um, Evan, we're coming up to like uh, about 10, 1040. And I just, you know, from from DG and me, Joe, uh, we just want to thank you for truly coming on to the show and giving us some time here on Pure Gold. Uh, really hope that you had a good time, and you're always welcome back to talk sports or even talk wrestling since you can't do it on WFAN. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I said, I hope you had a good time, and thank you so much. Hey, no problem. Anytime, fellas. Once again, folks, that was Evan Roberts from WFAN. Make sure you tune in. On WFAN Mondays, you know weekdays Monday through Friday from ten to one to listen to the midday show. Evan Roberts and Joe Beningo, DG. Sir, uh, we definitely, uh, as he likes to say, definitely a million times. Love uh, having Evan on. It was great. Um, he probably would actually be homeless right now if he if he did this. If he was able to talk a little wrestling, he would. The people would go nuts on him. Mike would probably get him fired. Joe would turn on him quickly. But it was nice to have him on and talk to us about wrestling. And it's interesting because. Evan is so positive, in my opinion, so positive on what he talks about. I honestly thought he was going to come on here and tell us that, man, wrestling is good and I love it, but he really just crapped all over it and talked about how terrible it was. And I mean, he would be perfect to be up pure gold because I think he hates wrestling just as much as we do in terms of what it is now and what it could be. But um, I really thought that the Rock promo last night, Evan made a great point, but I really thought that his promo – to me, was like, man, this is why we watch wrestling. It's for moments like these, the few and the far in between. You know, because if you think about it, Joe, not too many teams win championships, much of the Yankees or the Patriots or whatever. Typically, you get that one championship, and it's like, oh, I can live off this for 10 years because teams, you know, go up and down, whatever sport you're talking. But with wrestling, it's like, man, once in a while, once in a blue, you have that amazing moment. And last night was an amazing moment. But then, like Evan said, you realize, wow, wrestling absolutely is terrible, and The Rock just proved that in a, in this monster promo. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is uh, wrestling to us, to me, you, and Evan, and any other wrestling fan, wrestling is drugs, and we're addicted to it. We can't get off of it, and, you know, as bad as it is, we still want to do it. So just like drugs, that's what wrestling is to us. <laughs> Folks, Evan's interview tonight was brought to you by Bikram Yoga. Are you curious about trying some hot yoga but intimidated? Don't be. You're never too old, too bad, too late, or too sick to start from scratch once again. Come in and try it with our no-commitment introductory offer of $20 for your first week of unlimited yoga. You have nothing to lose, folks. That's right. Bikram Yoga is located on 5th Ave and 83rd Street in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York. For more information, visit their website at www. BikramBayRidge.com. That's www.b-i-k-r-a-m-bayridge.com. DG, folks, we're about to get into something wonderful. But before we do that, Todd's take, folks, the one and only Todd Johnstone. 
His Take is brought to you by Design and Stitch. Folks, if you're looking to promote your business, school, church, or team, contact Design and Stitch for all of your embroidery and screen printing needs. Mention Pure Gold for 50% off all of your setup charges. They're located at 194 Atlantic Street in Hackensack, New Jersey. Again, contact them at 201 488 1314 or visit them at design-n-stitch.com. Folks, we're going to get into this right now. The one and only Todd Johnstone, a.k.a. TJ. Take it away, Todd. Good evening, everybody. How are you guys doing tonight? Great interview with with Evan Roberts tonight. Uh, Miami Tops, the the Indiana Pacers, 110-103. The Chicago Bulls over Charlotte, 106-94. Memphis tops, tops Philadelphia, 102-91. And the Thunder, way over Sacramento, 126-96. The Phoenix Suns are still playing Utah, 72-67. 3.37 left to play in the third quarter. And New Orleans is about to tip off against the Golden State Warriors. In hockey action... With 158 left to play in the first overtime, San Jose and Nashville are tied one to one. Edmonton skates over Dallas three to one. With uh, uh, they're just starting the third period. Sorry about that. Uh, in final action, Boston three, Toronto four, Buffalo three, Montreal two. We have the Islanders over Ottawa. Islanders win another game. Yes. They're on a, they're on a tear out there. Philadelphia tops tops Tampa Bay 4-3, and Vancouver 4-1 over Minnesota. Gentlemen. All right, folks. It's 1040. It's later than usual, but we had a great show, um, a great interview with uh, Evan Roberts. But it is 1041, and tonight is time for Todd's Take. Take it away, Todd. Let me say it was really nice to hear you guys talking some baseball because I am definitely suffering from some separation anxiety when it comes to the NFL. But as long as they give me, are still giving me juicy tidbits, if they're going to keep lobbing up softball, I'm going to keep swinging for the fences. So let's talk about the franchise tag. The NFL announced a bunch of franchise tags this week, uh, most notably Logan Mankins from New England, Michael Vick from Philadelphia, Steven Jackson of the disgruntled San Diego uh, Chargers, Haloti Nada from Baltimore, and, of course, David Harris, a linebacker for my beloved New York Jets. The franchise tag. The NFLPA hates the, uh, the tag designation because they say that it's a, uh, a resistant of trade, an antitrust violation. What I'd like to know is, what lawyer of Drew Rosenhaus wrote that statement for the, uh, the shills over at the union to read to the press? I mean, in most cases, the franchise tag is a necessary evil. It's, I mean, it's created to help teams who are in dire financial straits hold on to key players for at least, at least one more year. Will the franchise tag be negotiated, negotiated out of the CBA? Probably, most likely. I mean, if giving up the, uh, the franchise tag is going to give us the ability to bring a new CBA, and possibly an 18-game season, hey, I say so be it. I'm all for it. All right, let it go, fellas. If David Harris, linebacker for my beloved New York Jets, ends up on the market, at best I can rest assured that he's not going to end up uh, on the tightwad New England Pats. I mean, what else could they possibly offer him? I mean, they infamously don't pay anybody. 
which includes their three-time Super Bowl and current MVP of the league champion. I mean, I could just hear Belichick now. Well, we offer the Patriot way and a chance to play in the Super Bowl every year. Well, hello, I have that already in New York, and I don't have to play for such a tool of a head coach. I mean, take the tag, give me a season. It's a small price to play. In deference to Evan Robin, uh, Evan Roberts, bro, oh, the pain, bro, oh, the pain. Consider yourself <laughs> taken. Gentlemen. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, sir. DG? Well, it looks like we oh, might have lost Sorry, JB. I was so uh, I was so overwhelmed by Todd's take that I was uh, just left rendered mute for a second. Um, Todd, definitely a good job. We we always appreciate you uh, coming on the air, folks. It is that time once again. As always, after that stellar interview with Mr. Evan Roberts, we're gonna get into some Monday Night Raw. And you know, I feel kind of bad. I guess weird talking about it now, considering that Evan basically ran down wrestling for 20 minutes on our show. But then again, JB, that's all we ever do anyway. So uh, I guess it doesn't uh, it doesn't make me feel that bad. We started out last night with CM Punk, the great one. I mean, the real great one is The Rock, but CM Punk versus John Cena, which is a pretty good match. Uh, Punk won by interference. You know, they, they had a hand at the bottom of the uh, ring apron. Handing out weapons, and he finally hit Cena with a uh, with a wrench. And you know, Joe, what do you think about this? I know that we all know wrestling is fake. Obviously, it's, it's rigged. But then again, everything is fake. Everything in this world practically is rigged. Um, it's all staged. You have these hardcore matches, these extreme rules matches once a year, and these guys, you know, Cena can go through a light. Cena can go through a building. Cena could probably get exploded in one of those matches and come back together. But yesterday, he got taken out with a, with a little, you know, shot from a wrench. I don't know, Joe. I know that it's a it's a plot device, but can Punk win a match clean over him? I mean, seriously, he's got to be in with a wrench. I, I understand your point, but I also want to mention that this is what the Nexus is really all about. It's all about like you know gang warfare, and you know I I must say that you know I I enjoyed the match. I enjoyed Punk winning, and um, you know as Bobby Heenan used to always say, one of Bobby Heenan's greatest lines was, "Win if you must, lose if you can, but always cheat." I mean, so for Punk to cheat and win, I don't have a problem with that because of the whole gimmicky thing with Nexus. So I actually enjoyed it. I mean, it's better than, you know, Cena FUing Punk in the middle of the ring and beating, beating him clean. So what can I say? Definitely, definitely. So, um, you know, the, the next thing that, um, you know, basically uh, was mentioned on Raw was that, you know, unfortunately uh, Jerry the King Law's mom passed away um, a couple of days ago. So he wasn't on Raw. But the interesting thing about that was that, you know, we could get, uh, I think it's a little bit later down the show, but it was interesting to have The Miz come out and talk about The King not being there. And just, you know, you, you're wondering if they were going to go to that level and mention about that, DG. But they kind of did it in a, a, a better way than I, thank God they did, because they could have said something really stupid. But they said, like, you know, hopefully Jerry doesn't use this as an excuse that, you know, his mom's on his mind that he loses on Sunday. What did you think about that little angle? Um, I was hoping Miz wouldn't go there, and you're right. It was absolutely 100 times better than I thought because Vince is, you know, I love Vince McMahon. If I ever saw him on the street again, I'd shake his hand and talk to him for a bit. But, at this, and, and, you know, I used to think Vince really had it in touch with the fans, but they're not so sure anymore. But anyway, um, 
Vince can be a bit of a jerk sometimes, and he can really say some things that are just crossing the line. We mentioned the whole angle Jarrett thing from last week, and I know Kurt had to okay that, but it was it was a little bit too much for me. I like the fact that the Miz mentioned it. You know, I don't think it, was, it definitely wasn't too far. They didn't push anything, but it kind of showed you at the same time. I don't know, man. Honestly, last night's show really reminded me of the Attitude Era in the sense that we had good wrestling. We had a great promo to close out the show. The Rock, the most electrifying man in all of entertainment. You know, but there was also a little bit of realism, like that whole mention of Jerry's mom passing away. I liked it, and I'm, again, I agree with you completely. I'm glad that it wasn't taken too far because the WWE has this horrible tendency of going too far and, you know, really just screwing things over. JB? Yep, and then, uh, you know, going down, you know, in chronological order from last night's show, I mean, once again, um, Alberto Del Rio shows up on Raw. I mean, this guy's, you know, he's fighting for the World Heavyweight title, which is SmackDown's Heavyweight title, Edge's title, and basically, you know, he shows up on Raw again, and this right here just tells me that he'll be showing up every week on Raw up until WrestleMania, I know there's a big mosh about who's the World Heavyweight Champion, and I'm sure DG will hit on that. But the fact that Del Rio is on Raw again just tells you, once again, SmackDown does not have the ratings, does not have the, the draw power, and they they got to put their guys on Raw, you know, just to make sure that they're seen on TV. It's true, Joe, because the fact is that these guys need to get on Raw, unfortunately, just to, you know, people know who the hell they are. But if you're like me or you... If anybody out there listening, we don't watch SmackDown. I've I really have never been into SmackDown other than when The Rock came out the first match. Joe, do you remember 1999, sometime in August when SmackDown first premiered? That first killer main event, uh, Triple H versus uh, The Rock with Shawn Michaels as the guest referee. That very first SmackDown. No, I definitely do, and that was when there was no brands. That's when the Raw guys were the Raw guys and the Raw, and the Smack. You know, there was no brands. Uh, differentiation. So, you know, you had the same guys on Raw on the same, you know, with the same guys on SmackDown. That's when SmackDown was good. It was good up until several years ago, and now it's pretty much sucked. I remember when The Rock went to SmackDown, when they did the whole uh, brand extension originally. That's when it was good, when you had Hulk Hogan on SmackDown, when you had The Rock on SmackDown, when you had guys that people cared about. And unfortunately, as much as I like mid-carders like Kofi Kingston and even Dolph Ziggler starting to grow on me, there just is, and I love Edge, by the way, but there just isn't enough there to watch, and it's just not interesting to me personally. Speaking of Edge, that whole uh, Dolph Ziggler World Heavyweight Championship thing, uh, I'm going to have to figure that, and it's actually probably ha- it's happening right now as we speak, being filmed. I, I got I to have to think that Teddy Long is going to come back and you know denounce the whole world title change because for Ziggler to get the title like that, it would it would be cool from a sports uh, excuse me from a storyline standpoint. But realistically, it's just stupid to hand him the world title. I've never been a big fan of that, and I've always thought that uh, it's been it's been pretty stupid, so to speak. But uh, you know, aside from all that, you know, it, it was it was interesting. We'll see where they go. We'll see how that gets taken care of. And uh, you know, there's uh, there's a couple of notes, just a couple of notes that I'd like to mention before we uh, move on to so- to something else here. Um, they showed last night Taker's the guy behind uh, 2211. I was disappointed, but I kind of expected it at this point. I was hoping it was uh, Taker. What I don't understand, Joe, maybe you can comment on this, is they show Taker inside the house, whatever house, you know. Maybe that's the house where Taker's mom gave birth to him or something stupid like that. But uh, they show Taker, they show his picture twice, and then again they show somebody outside in the rain. Is that supposed to be Taker or is that supposed to be somebody else? Well, what's up with that? Good point. Good point, DG. I mean... 
is it Sting? But, um, you know, unfortunately, signs are pointing towards a Triple H Taker match at WrestleMania. So I think it's, you know, Taker just using his so-called, you know, phenom powers. And he's, you know, he's inside the house. He's outside the house. So I think it's just Taker in both scenes, uh, unfortunately, DJ. Taker going all over the place like, like a big old, you know what? Um, JB, you want to you wanna touch on the, uh, the commercial that was shown last night? <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. We had another great commercial on Raw that I fast-forwarded faster than I fast-forwarded any other part of the show. We had another Chaperone commercial, and let me tell you, I cannot wait for that movie to come out. DG, how about you? Uh, actually, and I was hoping that we can go together on a double date. Um, you know, my wife, your wife, and then obviously the two of us, we can go spend our hard-earned money uh, and you know that we make and just go out there and really enjoy a wonderful uh, family film. Uh, speaking of that crap... Um, the, I don't even know the girl's name, but his co-star on the show, uh, the, the movie was on Raw last night. That was an absolute, that was a terrible segment in my opinion. But I know you had mentioned something about that earlier. But to see her dancing like a buffoon, it's just that movie's gonna suck. If you go spend your money on that, you you need to have your head examined because there's definitely something wrong with you. All right, DG. I know this is your one of your favorite wrestlers of all time. Um, you know they had the kiss cam. Blah, blah, blah. That's all I have to say about that. Let's just set the scene, set the mode, set the tone. Tell me what the last 22 minutes of Raw was like last night to you. Well, sir, um, if I could just make one more comment before we get into that. Um, I loved the Daniel Bryan Miz storyline. Um, and, again, I, we we got to get into that, that whole 22 minute the ending of Raw. But I just have to mention this one thing before we finish this out. That was a great match. It was an amazing match. I love both guys in that ring. But, when I again, and this is just me. Maybe I need to get over it because Miz is the champ. But when I look at the two of them, and I want Brian to be pushed, I just don't see World Heavyweight title. I don't see World Heavyweight champion. I see two mid-carders duking out for the uh, U.S. or the IC title. Great match, amazing match. But uh, any thoughts on that, JB? Yeah, I mean, that's what the world has, the world of wrestling has become. You know, you got the mid-carders that they're trying to elevate the main event status. And, and while we always talk about wanting these main these mid-carters being main event status, when we start comparing it to the Attitude Era, these guys are just mid-carters that unfortunately or fortunately are now in the main event status because of guys like The Rock not being there anymore, the Stone Colds, the Triple Hs. So, you know, it, I agree with you. It's a double-edged sword. It definitely is, sir. And now if we can finally... And the DG means finally get into the biggest thing that happened last night. We mentioned it. We touched on it. But, folks, this needs a little time on its own. Folks, do you smell what The Rock is cooking? I, I mentioned it with Evan. I absolutely went nuts, woke up my wife, did a backflip. I mean, it was it was crazy. It was amazing, the electricity. I thought the crowd wasn't as great as it could have been. If that had been at Madison Square Garden or, or over in Boston or even in Chicago, I think the, the roof would have literally blown off the building and it would have imploded on everyone and killed everybody in the process because it was such a huge pop. It was such a huge moment. And the fact that – I'm sure Evan loved this part. He didn't, he didn't mention it, but it wasn't a PG – not pure gold, but it wasn't a rated PG moment because The Rock said the A to that double crooked letter quite a few times. The first time it was edited, again, the other five or six times he mentioned it, it really just showed you what wrestling was like in the 90s and in the early 2000s, what made it great. 
The Rock is one of my all-time favorites. He showed again last night why he can electrify the crowd like nobody else, why he can cut a promo like nobody else. The Rock is absolutely one of the greatest promo men ever. There's just no doubt about that. And we get into the whole dilemma of what he did to Cena, but Joe, how nuts did you go when the lights started turning off and the electricity started flowing? And I felt it, Joe. I felt it through the screen when The Rock came out and the crowd went nuts. What did you think? It was definitely a great tease to start the the whole you know introduction. I mean, you saw a lady come out with high heels, so you thought that it might be a lady or maybe you know like Stephanie McMahon or something that she she'd be the host. But um, to have The Rock and like you know where I disagree with Evan is that um, I know it's he says it's the worst thing to happen to you know wrestling for him to come out, but for me nowadays it's just living in the moment and you know. For that one segment, that 22-minute segment that The Rock cut, actually brought me back to the Attitude Era, actually brought me back to the golden age of wrestling. So I enjoyed it for what it was. It was a great promo. Um, and, you know, he called out the guy that we love to call out, John Cena. I mean, he he basically, you know, ripped him in any way he can. He called him like a, uh, what do you call him, a fruity pebbles, a uh, bowl of fruity pebbles. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, you could you couldn't get much better. I mean, he had so many good lines on it from like you know from the beginning when he said he talked to Vince McMahon and he said that you got to get Justin Bieber to host the, to host WrestleMania. I thought that was great. I, I you know, yeah. DG, how about the fact that you know we hate the, this whole Raw anonymous GM and how he shut up Michael Cole and put him down and you know he made him nose roll and shut his hole. You know, it's interesting because my wife actually asked me about that. You know, I doesn't know much about wrestling, so she always says, what about this, and is this for real? And she was asking me if The Rock really hates Michael Cole, and I was like, no, just the fans hate him and they can't stand him. And they they only did that whole anonymous GM thing just in that one second just to have him shut Michael Cole up and, you know, pop the crowd again. That's the only reason to have some interaction with Cole, but I loved that. And I actually thought for a second that maybe they were going to reveal that he's the anonymous GM or something stupid, but... Uh, I mean, anything with The Rock can't be stupid, but it was truly amazing. It was truly just awesome. It, again, showed you why you're a wrestling fan. JB, let me ask you, um, he guaranteed he's going to lay the SmackDown, do all that, he's going to host WrestleMania. But what exactly does that mean, being the host of WrestleMania? Is there any hope that we're going to see him in the ring at all ever again? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, he even said... Uh, in his promo, he said he's he's back, and he you know he's not leaving. Um, he's staying here. So you know those words make you think that you know he might actually step in the ring one more time, maybe at a you know the next big pay per view, which would be SummerSlam. But um, it, it'd be great to see him against you know John Cena because um, you know we love The Rock. We're definitely all about the Attitude Era. We hate this new generation. So for us to see Rock versus Cena at potentially at SummerSlam. Sign me up, folks. Sign me up. I mean, there's so much more that we could get into, and uh, I know we're pressed up for time. So, DG, um, had a great show. I'm going to let you close this out. Take it away. Uh, well, folks, let's uh, let's get into this a little bit. I mean, you know, we have the overrun going. Just like Raw had their 20-minute, first time ever that Raw ever went that long, we can definitely do a little overrun here tonight. JB, DG, Valentine's Day. You mentioned you had a great Valentine's Day, Joe. Is there anything that you can share for the PG audience? Anything that's PG that you can share for the PG audience for Valentine's Day weekend? Well, let me tell you, I set the romantic scene by first buying a nice bouquet of flowers. 
for my wife, and I had him when she came in through the door. And from there, you know, we shared a, a kiss. I mean, that that's PG, right, DJ? And then, yeah, you know, I, I decided, yeah, I decided nothing more romantic than to go to the candle, not candle lit, but the Candlewick Diner, folks. That's right. I spent $24 on a great romantic Valentine's dinner with me, my wife, and my daughter. Spent 24 bucks, <laughs> and it was the best money I've ever spent. That's awesome, Joe. Um, you know, <laughs> I love how you set the scene with the candle. Oh, not candlelit, Candlewick. I remember we went yes, to that sir. one time. My wife and I were my wife and I were talking about that the other day, and it was definitely uh, interesting. But I'm glad that you and the missus had fun, and you guys were able to at least get out. I know that when you have your child and you have all that business going on, it's a little bit uh, it can be a little bit hectic, especially you have the little monster who's uh, you know two at this point, and you know going on uh, 50. Um, it's great. That you guys had fun. As for me and my wife, we went to uh, the Poconos, not the same place we went last year, because we actually, when we got married, it was our one-year anniversary on Sunday, and it also is my wife's birthday, and uh, obviously Monday being Valentine's Day. It was a huge weekend for us, um, and it will be for the rest of our lives, because we have all those things to um, celebrate. But also, when we did our last show, folks, um, I didn't want to mention it at the time, because I wanted my wife to, we wanted to go and talk and, you know, do whatever we had to do, but... uh I was especially especially excited um, on a Thursday show right before we had Anthony Tyler Quinn because right before that I found out that my wife is actually expecting a child and that was amazing. Um, you know she's going mañana to talk to the doctor and do all that fun stuff, but it was just an amazing feeling, something that cannot be described. I absolutely, you know, went through the roof and uh, literally because we were just so amazed. And you know, so blessed, and we thank God for that because you know now we have the we have our our baby that is on the way. Um, we had that in the same weekend as, and the day after. You know, it happens to be February ninth is our anniversary of the first day for our first date. The tenth is our nephew's birthday, and then we also found out that same night that we're you know we're pregnant. And then obviously you have Sunday with the my wife's birthday and uh, our wedding anniversary and then Valentine. I mean, it's just a huge weekend for us, huge week. Everything just, you know, went amazing, and I'm very thankful for that. And I'm just uh, so blessed. And, again, I thank the good Lord above that he's blessed me with such an amazing uh, marriage and an amazing family, and this one year has been great. Not perfect because, you know, we're human and we have our issues, but I just thank God for uh, I thank God for everything, everything that he's done for me and, uh you know, I wanted to mention it so bad last Thursday, but I didn't think it was appropriate. And, again, I wanted to respect my wife's wishes, but uh, I know that Joe would like to uh, say something. So let me turn it over to my pure gold partner who is seated in my blind spot. JB? DG now stands for Daddy Gomez. That's right, folks. We are going to have a family, <laughs> huh, DG? How great is that? Yes. It's probably the best feeling in the world. And let me tell you, this opens up a great, you know, a great new angle to our show. We could actually have, you know, nights that you want to tell me and ask me advice about what you want to do about, you know, your kid, you know, your baby boy that you're having, and, you know, tell me, you know, like he, he's not, he keeps crying. I, I feed him, I change him, I don't know what to do. So we could actually take callers. We could definitely do some great shows about family now, DG, and I'm so happy for you guys. I really am. <laughs> it's the best feeling in the world when you find out, you know, you're going to have, you know, your first baby. Um, so proud that you know you, you told me right when we went off the air on Thursday, and you know hopefully uh, everything works out for you guys, and you have the best of health, and uh, 
like I said, this is this opens up a, a whole new PG, um, you know, way of doing shows. We could we could obviously go and you know deviate from sports from time to time. So it's great that you're going to be a father, and you know your wife's going to be obviously a mother. Yeah, obviously. Um, no, it's definitely true because you mentioned that, and I did call you right after the show was over because I wanted you to know. I mean, all these years of. Uh, friendship and all this time that we spent together talking smack to each other and berating each other but then you know when when you got married I was there and I, and I was really happy for you and obviously you were there at my wedding and then you know when, when Sabrina was born I wasn't there but uh, I remember you know how excited you were about being a father and you know going into everything with Andrea and it's just wonderful because like I said you really get to see God's blessings and everything and just having a family and you know, it feels like, I know when we have the baby, it's just going to be an amazing feeling, but it feels like a, like a completion of sorts, you know, like a, like a real family. Yeah, we have our cat going, but a cat's not the same thing as, as a child, you know. So we're definitely so extremely excited and just so happy. And, and again, I, I just can't stress it enough, and I can sit here and talk about it all day, but it definitely opens up so many new angles that we can talk about in terms of where Pure Gold is going in the future and what we can do. We can talk about education. We can talk about uh, nutrition, because now obviously my wife and I need to be more cautious than ever what we eat and where we go and what we do. And you know, we gave a fast food a while back, but it's just so much more than that because I have to worry about her and our our child, you know, growing. So you know, we uh, we're, we're excited and you know, again, thankful for that. But uh, JB, any uh, any final thoughts before we close out another classic Stella Pure Gold show? I gotta say, it was a, it was a great show from top to top. From top to bottom, DG, um, you know, Evan Roberts was a great uh, guest tonight. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to try to hook up Freedom with your cat. I really am. <laughs> well, I, I figured Freedom was a boy, but when he said girl, I, I thought the same thing. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think eventually I'm going to have to get rid of the cat because I don't – I love him and he's part of the family, but I, I can't imagine him, you know, my kid uh, running around the house and, you know, crawling and all that stuff and then – my cat goes nuts, and, you know, he, he, he can be a little wild sometimes, but uh, he's a good cat, so if any Pure Gold listeners would like to, uh, you know, take him in, uh, definitely, uh, <laughs> you know, feel free to do that. But uh, before I close out the show, actually, there's just one more thing I'd like to mention before I forget. We actually got an email from one of our loyal listeners. It's uh, Ryan from Bergenfield, and something I'd like to mention again because uh, I, won't, I won't remember this if we don't do it now. Um, he'd like to talk a little bit about the Mets. He wants to know who needs to step it up. And I know this is odd after everything we just got into, but, you know, uh, we got to give our loyal listeners uh, their due. He wants to know who needs to step it up the most this year, in our opinion, Carlos Beltran, uh, Jose Reyes, or David Wright. And, I mean, I think the second question is pretty easy to answer. The Mets have absolutely no shot at all against the Phillies, and they probably won't win a game against them. But, J.B., out of those three, who do you feel needs to step it up the most? Or if there's another player that needs to step it up for the most for the Mets to have even a remotely decent year? I don't have the stat in front of me, but I know that when Jose Reyes scores a run, the Mets win a lot more games than they lose. So I think if Jose Reyes has a good year, you know, bats about 300, has about 115 runs, uh, steals about 40 to 50 bases, I definitely think that, you know, it's Jose Reyes out of the three that um, if they if he has a good year, I think the Mets will have a good year. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that, sir. And um, I mean, I would have picked Beltran only because he's such a huge cog in the in the team. But Reyes, is, there's no more important player in terms of offense than uh, than Jose Reyes. But as we close out the show, before I tell you what to expect, JB, take it away, folks. Are you curious about trying hot yoga but intimidated? Well, don't be. 
You're never too old, too bad, too late, or too sick to start from scratch once again. Come in and try it with our no-commitment introductory offer of $20 for your first week of unlimited yoga. You really have nothing to lose, folks. Bikram Yoga is located in on 5th Ave uh, and 83rd Street in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York. For more information, visit their website at www.bikrambayridge.com. And when you go, please mention that Pure Gold sent you. Folks, are you looking to promote your business, school, church, or team, or any other organization for that matter? Contact Design and Stitch for all of your embroidery and screen printing needs. Mention Pure Gold for 50% off of all of your setup charges, folks. They are located at 194 Atlantic Street in Hackensack, New Jersey. Contact them at 201-488-1314. Once again, that is 201-488-1314. Or visit them at design dash and as in Nancy, dash stitch dot com. That is all the time that we have today, folks. We thank our, our, our two sponsors, the ads, and sponsoring Todd's Taken, of course, the wonderful interview with Evan Roberts. Next Thursday, we have, excuse me, this Thursday, I'm all over the place, folks. All the stuff going on with the babies just got me uh, in another gear. We have Mr. John Paul Gonzalez joining us from the group 4-1. John Paul was an NCAA first-team All-American, and he also played in an NBA Summer League. He'll be sharing with us what he's up to these days and what 4-1 is all about. Next Tuesday, very excited to have this gentleman on, February 22nd, we will have Mr. Justin Labar of WrestleZone.com. He writes articles for them, and he also does a, a show that you can actually watch, Chair Shot Reality, with uh, Josh Eisenberg. He'll be joining us for a very special interview. They have Mark Madden, former WCW commentator, on there. And, you know, they, they get the, the the best of the best. They're going to have uh, Chris Jericho on this week. They've had guys like Lex Luger and, you know, you name it. They've been on, uh, They've been on. you know, he, he actually ran into a, a Kevin Nash at, in Boston for the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, and that was on there. You know, he, he was talking to Big Kev uh, about being in the in the event and what was going on and this and that. So, you know, Justin is a uh, mover and shaker when it comes to the world of Internet wrestling. And we were pleased to have him on next Thursday, next Tuesday. Sorry, folks, I'm just all over the place. February 22nd. That is all the time we have for today. Special thanks to Mr. Evan Roberts for a great interview. Thanks to our callers as well, and Ryan from uh, Bergenfield who emailed us. I'd like to thank Todd for our sports update and Todd's take, to Fitz, our producer, and Kelly, our board op. Remember to tune in on Thursday night, folks, at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for JB. This is DG of Pure Gold reminding you to always keep it PG. Good night, everyone.